The Future is Inclusive is produced on Ngunnawal Country and we pay our respects to Elders past, present and future, especially those who identify as having a disability. We live in a world that is far from perfect, it seems to me, in a whole number of ways, just one of which is its ability to exclude people for no discernible reason. This is The Future is Inclusive, and that is the voice of disability advocate Doogie Hurd. I'm Cara Matthews, and if you think Doogie is onto something, join me on this journey to becoming the ally you want to be. This podcast is the hardware store, and you are here to stock your toolkit with inclusivity, reasonable adjustments, and a better grasp of the social model of disability. Alison Proctor has a special today on Teachable Moments. Get them here, folks, because people with disability deserve a day off. So paint me a picture, Alison. How does society exclude people with disabilities? Let me count the ways, Cara. Uh, A good example, I think, is when you consider um, a range of Hollywood movies uh, where there is a part uh, for a person with disability. um, Often they're played by people without disability. Another thing that I notice about Hollywood movies, actually, is just the lack of representation of people with disabilities in them, regardless of who they're played by. You know, what? why can't the kooky next-door neighbour be a person with a disability? Why can't the leading lady or the leading man be a person with a disability? Why are they always able-bodied people? That's not the way the world works. I had a wonderful experience many years ago... Um, As listeners know, my sister has a profound intellectual disability and I was at a conference for so-called siblings. Uh, And Guy Pearce was there as well. He has a sister who has Down syndrome and I'm sure he has many other people in his life as well, but that was what drew him there at that particular time. Anyway, years later I was watching that film, that amazing Australian film called Animal Kingdom where he plays a police officer that that tries to bring the Ben Mendelsohn character down. And um, at one point during the movie uh, it shoots to Guy... Guy Pearce's character's family and he's just playing with his family in the home and um, his daughter that he's playing with in the movie is a little girl with Down syndrome and it's not a big deal, it's not made a big thing of, it just is and then they shoot to the next scene and it was was this really nice moment where I'm like, oh wait, oh yeah, that's right, awesome and it was nice to just see ordinary life involving a diverse range of people. So we recently spoke to Doogie Hurd, who is the CEO of Community Connections, which is a local ACT organisation, and he had some really interesting things to say about how society excludes him because he uses a wheelchair. Mm. But most of the time, it's never spoken about. doesn't stop me being patronised from time to time, Mm -hmm. in both good and bad ways. You know, I will not tell a lie. Um, I'm happy to abuse my position as a person with a disability when there's a long queue waiting to get into a cinema. Um, You know, I'll go straight to the head of the queue because that makes sense because I've only got one place I can sit inside the cinema, but I'm not going to wait at the end of the queue to get into it. But more seriously, you know, it's, it's a pain in the ass to have to be continually fighting against people's perception of what they see Um, you know, and cliches, which are nevertheless real. People talk slowly to me in case I might not understand what they say. I am blessed by complete strangers several times a year. Wow. Really? Um, Absolutely. And I understand 
because I, you know, I'm not a person of any faith whatsoever, but I understand those are well-meaning people with good intentions, but I don't need to be blessed. I didn't ask to be blessed, and they bring their perception to me just wandering down the street. I am one of those well-meaning people, and I, I have a tendency... My mother raised me to always bring a cup of tea to anybody who looked like they didn't want to have, a, have to get up from their chair to get a cup of tea, right? And so I do have this kind of natural tendency to want to offer cups of tea and to sort of give people a hand across the street or do any of those really kind of well-meaning that can be really patronising things. So last year I was at the National Folk Festival and I was cruising along with my kids um, and I saw a woman who was using a wheelchair uh, getting down a very steep incline just on the edge of a curb and I thought oh goodness um, I think I want to go and give that woman a hand but there was just something there was a look on her face and I thought actually I think that woman would really like me to ignore her right now that woman definitely does not look like she wants anyone to go and give her a hand and I just I stopped I stopped myself from doing it later on that day uh, I was sitting at a gig watching some music there were no chairs left Uh, in the corner of this venue there were two women sitting next to each other and one of them was using a wheelchair and was somebody who was making some movements in her wheelchair uh, as she watched and she was sitting next to another woman and there was no one sitting next to her, which is something I often find happens with Suze and I whenever we're out and about because Suze moves her arms in interesting ways. It's a really great way to clear a cafe because we'll come in and everyone else will leave. So there were a couple of seats next to them that were empty and I thought, oh, I'm just going to sit because there's a seat Uh, and in the process of sitting very kind of gently over the next kind of 45 minutes during the process of the gig we were all responding to the gig together we were clapping at the same time and so I kind of inevitably started talking with them about it and um, about the gig and what we were doing and how much we were enjoying the festival. And at one point, the woman who was sitting next, like one seat across from us, uh, she said, I'm just going to go and get a beer. Do you mind staying here and sitting uh, with my, It was her daughter, my daughter, who's using the wheelchair just while I go and get my beer because it's a bit annoying having to kind of lose our seats. And, and that was fine and I did that. And there was just, like, for me, it was a really nice day of seeing that there are sometimes when being an ally means stepping up and doing something and then there are sometimes when being an ally means get over yourself and don't be the well-meaning, the well-meaning jerk that kind of wants to help for my own sense of wanting to help as mm-hmm. opposed to genuinely somebody wanting assistance. Absolutely. And that's a hard thing to navigate. Mm, And I'm sure I have got that wrong on many occasions. I mean, you know, so part of my work that I do is working with people with disabilities um, in in theatre. And the biggest thing that we often get told is just ask. Like, don't tell me, just ask. Um, And that's a really interesting one because I often also think, and I don't know if you have anything on this, Doogie, but... um, Getting asked if you need help 72 times a day, I could imagine, could potentially be quite frustrating. Yeah, as I get asked if I need help all the time. Mm-hmm. Any hill going up or down, I get asked if I need help. Getting in and out of my car. I know and different people have different attitudes about this. Um, I would rather we lived in a world where we felt an inclination to help one another, whoever we may be, from whatever background we may have, and for that to be understood as a fellow-feeling human being making an offer to another. Um, But um, other people take a view uh, that that that's Mm patronising. And, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I really don't know. Uh, But if somebody says, do I want any help? 
I'll either say yes because I really, really want help. Um, although more often than not, if and when I need help, I say, excuse me, could you give me a hand? Um, sometimes I don't need to ask. Um, you know, I have fallen out of my wheelchair once or twice and passers-by have, have come to my rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also fallen out of my wheelchair and passers-by. I've just kept on pa- right. passing by. I, I kind of think if somebody says, for whatever reason, I don't know what motivates them. Mm. I might guess, but I could be wrong. So do you want to, you know, can I help you? My inclination is to say one or that. Either yes, I, I do, or, or no, I'm fine. Thanks very much for asking, though. Because um, I think we live in a world that's harsh enough without telling people to piss off. I think there's offering and there's offering as well. Like there's a patronising way of offering. Can I help? And there's yeah. there's an empowering way of asking. Uh, Susan and I often talk about um, being stared at and what it's like to be stared at. And I think they're staring and they're staring, right? So they're staring in a way that is um, engaging and interested and curious and has an open heart. And then they're staring that's judgmental and awful. And mm. it's really easy to tell the difference between those two things you know certainly in my organization and in my life I try to be as inclusive as possible it's not that easy um you know when you're kind of talking about language even like the the term of people with disability is such it covers such a broad range of people and such a broad range of 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 experiences and um and with such a broad range of experience, like in human life, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to rub people up the wrong way. You're going to get things wrong. And I think it's important to know that it's kind of okay to do that um, and to try and then fix it. I know certainly we, we ran a consultation uh, earlier in the year, um, and which you were at, Alison. <laughs> um, and some of it we got right and some of it we didn't. <laughs> some of it was a glorious hot steaming mess. And it yes. was awesome because you guys were just, you were honest about that and you mm-hmm. you said, look, we're trying. This isn't quite working the way we thought it was going to work. So let's try again. So, I mean, being inclusive is hard, but it's also easy too. It's yeah. mm. What was interesting is that, so we had about, 30 people in that room, most of whom had different disabilities. Um, and, I, you know, the first thing we kind of did when we walked in is we went, hello, everyone, you know, uh, the toilets are down there, just straight up and didn't kind of, oh, maybe we should say right, uh, you know, because people with vision impairment spoke up and went, yeah, that's great, but which way's there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Where do you the, mean by there? Yeah, <laughs> and I made a mistake <laughs> of somebody identified as uh, having a hearing impairment and I went, oh, great, we've got an Auslan interpreter, that's not an issue. And it wasn't until about three days before that I went, oh, hang on, they might not speak Auslan mm. and had to speak to them and, and go, actually, what? What do you require? Mm. Um, but the overwhelming... Uh, sense that I got from the people there is we, we got at evaluations and we talked to them is they were like, look, you didn't get it completely right, but I felt like you were trying more than anyone. Um, you know, it, it was it was inclusive in its attitude more than anything else, yeah. which they appreciated. And that you learn from it and you, you do things differently next time. Absolutely. Yeah. We're running another consultation and, I've you know, all of those things, we've gone through all of that feedback and yeah. are now trying to make the next one yeah. far better. And I have learned from that as well. So now when I'm hoping to run consultations, my, my big learn for that is that um, to ask people, what are your reasonable and necessary adjustments that you would like mm-hmm. us to make so that this consultation works for you instead of me assuming, oh, there are people who identify as deaf or, mm-hmm. or, or, or hearing impaired 
and I'm just going to automatically assume that they're Auslan yeah. Which um, I users. preach all the time. And for some reason in the lead up to that with all the stuff that was going on, mm-hmm. I just didn't do. So the last bit of that was me confessing a little bit of my ignorance, which I think is the main cause generally when things aren't accessible. Right? Would you agree? Well, I hope so. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to think that there's like some willful exclusion going on there. But uh, we did hear from Doogie another bizarre example um, where people were actively fighting against inclusion. In the largest municipal bus operator in, or the only municipal bus operator in in the city in Scotland, I came from, um, the chief executive officer told a bunch of advocates, myself included, that there would be wheelchair-accessible bus, this is some 30 years ago, wheelchair-accessible buses over his dead body. I have no idea why he got passionate about this because it just seems like such a stupid thing to say. But then I came to Australia and I was told by my colleagues in Sydney, maybe they they learned this at how to be a chief executive school for bus bus companies, is is that the chief executive officer told a bunch of advocates in Sydney that there would be wheelchair-accessible buses over his dead body. And I have this image of all these former chief executives of bus companies lying dead in, in, in a variety of cities. But, but the, the point is that they're better for everybody. Yeah. They're easier to get on and off for everybody. They've got more room. They're better kitted out and they do a better job than the kind of buses that these guys were prepared to die in a ditch for. Um, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> I guess sometimes people just don't like change. No, I find that such an, an a bizarre thing <laughs> to care about, you know. I, I quite like the idea of uh, there being this kind of uh, school for bus company CEOs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, we do laugh at it, but it is quite an extreme thing you know and it's not a, it's not a nice attitude to be coming up against i mean please tell me that most people aren't passionately trying to deny people with disability access to things you know i've worked for a long time in what we call the disability sector and sometimes i do get a little bit worried about the attitudes of of some of my um, colleagues and uh some of my um the people that i interact with uh and and i think most of all i get mo- concerned about what we can sometimes do in under the banner of benevolence um, and of trying to be kind and to do the right thing uh, and to help, but actually sometimes helping is not very helpful. So I'm really, really glad that we're doing this podcast (laughs) with all sorts of ideas about what actually could be helpful. is The Future is Inclusive. I'm Alison Proctor. And I'm Cara Matthews. It's time to get out the toolkit because we have some solutions for you to stock it with. So Alison, what is a reasonable adjustment? Well, don't let me answer you right now. Let's listen to a clip. We can reasonably adjust every single new house in Australia when we build it to make sure that it's accessible to people who have a mobility problem. And all of the evidence suggests that it might cost less than $250 on the price of a new house. So it sounds like a big thing, but it's not actually that big at all. Or we can talk to one another and listen to what one another have to say. And then just in the light, what people tell us about their experience, just believe them. Mm -hmm. You know, life is tough in a wheelchair. 
if you're blind and can't have access to information, you probably don't have the same opportunities as others. Pick a disability, somebody will tell you their life story and they'll tell you that you go through hoops that other people don't have to go through. I think what most disappoints people um, that I come into contact with and have over the years is when anyone just comes with a bunch of assumptions about an individual. There are so many easily grasped individuals that one can think of from human history who just have always defied the cliched assumptions. Beethoven was profoundly deaf when his Ninth Symphony was first performed. You know, what's more important, his deafness or his nine symphonies? I'm I'm pretty sure I know which one it is. Mm -hmm. Who would have thought Stephen Hawking would be the biggest brain that the world has ever seen? Most of us are not Beethoven and most of us are not Stephen Hawking. You know, we're not Helen Keller, the saintly goddess of deaf-blind people. (laughs) We're... We're just ordinary folk getting on with our lives. But if you've got a visible disability, um, you come with all kinds of assumptions preceding you. And if you don't have a visible disability, it seems to me, people have to explain themselves again and again and again. And I'd have thought at at one end of the spectrum, that's deeply frustrating and it would make anyone angry. Um, although I, you know, I do remember an activist with what we now call psychosocial disability, but we never used to call it that, um, who used to tell me that she could never express her frustration because if she happened to get angry about something that anyone else might get angry about, someone would assume that she had forgotten to take her medication that morning. And you think, God, even get, you know, it starts there. But at the other end of the spectrum, there, there are. Um, I know of um, young men who, with a brain injury who find it difficult to walk through down the street or have an intellectual disability who have been arrested by police who think they're drunk and incapable and who haven't yet been through the disability awareness training session that says it is possible to be sober and stagger because you might have a brain injury or not to be able to articulate yourself clearly to a bus driver on George Street in Sydney because you've got an intellectual disability. There's everything in between those two kind of everyday annoying ends of the spectrum and the really serious stuff that can ruin people's lives. We know that there are people with disability who are incarcerated in Australia because we have no better way of dealing with their circumstances or their lives than to misunderstand who they are and what their motivations are and then get them locked into a system that ends up in a place that they don't want to be. So sometimes it's frivolous, but sometimes it's not. There is this really great quote that's often attributed to Lilla Watson, uh, a wonderful um, Aboriginal 10 Embassy uh, advocate. And the quote is, um, if you have come to help me, then you're wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Mm-hmm. I really like the way that that acknowledges that in working for inclusion, uh, you are not doing it um, from a charitable or benevolent perspective. You're doing it because it's actually, we all have rights 
and uh, if there are people whose rights are not being upheld, that affects all of our rights. Mm. That affects all of us. That is not the um, issue for the group whose rights are not being upheld. That is an issue for all of us. So I find that really... Um, a really great kind of... It's, it's written on the inside of our toilet door at home. I've got it there so I get to see it on a daily basis because it's a good reminder for me. I like I like the um, language of reasonable adjustments because for me as an advocate um, for my sister, it just helps me kind of articulate what is going to make a difference here. So recently uh, she and I were presenting at a, at a master's class at the ANU about a case study on the NDIS with a couple of other presenters and... And um, I was able to sort of just be really clear about saying, of course, of course, the venue will be wheelchair accessible and can you please make sure that, you know, there is not a chair at the, at the table for Sue's because she brings her own chair and please can you also make sure that, you know, I'm sitting here so that she's not sitting there so that we can kind of have the best experience possible for everyone. So for me, I've always just assumed that things will kind of roll along. So for me, having the language of reasonable adjustments has helped me be kind of clear in articulating... How can you set this up so that we can all have the best experience? Um, and I, I found that helpful because mm. I, I sort of just need almost that permission to kind of say, oh, and by the way, there's a couple of teeny tiny things you can do that will make it heaps better for everyone. So you were talking about why you like the language of reasonable adjustment mm. and one of the things that I love about it is that the word reasonable <laughs> is in the phrase, which just helps me, you know, kind of go, yeah, no, it's okay for me to ask this. Mm. This is absolutely reasonable that I would need a chair against a wall. It's not unreasonable and it's absolutely reasonable that people with disabilities should be able to access everything that everybody else can. Mm. You know, it's it's like what Doogie said where we're just removing the hoops mm. that they have to jump through. I couldn't agree more, Karen. On that, let's hear one final thought from Doogie. I think it is unreasonable that... People with disability have been excluded from the workforce for centuries. Um, I think it's unreasonable that we're treated as second-class citizens, that we have to fight to get on a bus or to be treated decently in some hospital settings or in queues to get into public buildings, that we have to go through back doors, that we don't get access to information. I think these exclusions are are entirely unreasonable and unjustifiable. They're not the fault of people who currently live and work in society today because they didn't create the problems. We're, we're living with the legacy of a history, that, but there is a history of exclusion. And where it becomes the personal responsibility of people who have power and influence today is... They have a responsibility to do what they can to change things. And if they don't, then they will justifiably encounter the frustration and sometimes anger of people who say, reasonably say to them, we know you're not responsible for the problems that we currently face, but you do have the power to make things better and you either will act to make things better or if you don't, I'm going to regard you as part of the problem. And, of course, that sounds very bolshy. And and I, it's not usually the language that I would talk in. But at the heart of it, I, I absolutely believe that that's what it's about. And I must confess, I get tired at times of 
trying to persuade people who ought to know better to do better because it's probably in their interests as well. Next time, we're going to be talking about identity and the language we use to identify ourselves and others. As a young adult trying to access health services, I've faced a lot of misunderstandings, assumptions and stereotyping which were really unhelpful. And so if you'd said to me then, are you proud to be an autistic person, I would have laughed at you. Whereas in the past sort of 10 or 15 years, that's really changed and so my disability does identify me but in a very positive way. I'm actually very happy and, and I find owning who I am to be very liberating. So that's next time and if you want more people to join you on this journey, please tell them about this podcast. Rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform and give us a shout out on social media. If you want to get in touch, you can email thefutureisinclusivepodcast at gmail.com. This podcast is funded by the ACT Office for Disability. I'm Cara Matthews. Thanks this week to my co-pilot, Alison Proctor, Doogie Hurd, the CEO of Community Connections, and to our producer, Kim Lester. <laughs>